I'm going to start um, by telling you what happened to me on the morning of April 10th, 2010. Uh, I was in New York City, um, and it was it was morning. Uh, my husband was then in Poland. He was the Polish foreign minister. I was in New York on business, um, and I picked up the phone and called him. And I thought, you know, it was a jolly morning. I said, how are you? Uh, and he picked up the phone and he said, I'm not well. And I said, what's wrong? And he told me that there had been a terrible plane crash in Poland that day, um, a plane crash that had killed 96 people. Um, among them were members of parliament, officials, members of the government, senior military figures, his deputy, um, a close friend of his. Um, and above all, the president of Poland and his wife and his entourage were all on the plane. Uh, the plane had been flying from, it flew that, had flown that morning from Warsaw to Smolensk. Um, Smolensk is a town in Russia, and it's a town that's very near an important Polish war memorial. Uh, it's a memorial to Poles who were killed during the war by, um, by the Soviet Union. It was a terrible massacre. Um, it was a massacre of officers. It was then covered up. Um, and it was, it's been a, a sore point in Polish history for many years. But the plane, then the plane had been taking the president who'd been planning to lay flowers on at the, at the memorial and had then been planning to use that as the start of his presidential campaign. He was then due for re-election. Um, in Poland, the president is from a different political party from the government sometimes. And in this case, he was. Um, my husband was in a center-right party. The president was in a more um, kind of nationalist right party. Nevertheless, after the plane crash happened, um, I, I quickly, I went back to Poland. Um, there was this feeling of um, emotional, deep and powerful national unity. You know, all kinds of people had been on the plane. There were stewardesses, there were bodyguards, there were people from every political party. Um, in the days that followed, there were funerals all over the country. I went to several of them. Um, I also went one evening out to the airport when they, as they brought, um, they brought coffins back from Russia to Poland um, and the army stood at attention and military bands played. Um, it was, for some reason, it was a very cold spring and, and we all remember it being um, somehow standing in the cold at the airport as a, as a very painful and difficult moment. Um, it also felt like a moment when you know, Poland had, has, has been a divided and, you know, diff country, po politics can be very difficult there. But this felt like something that pulled people together. And also, it was very clear from the very beginning what had happened. Um, and as the investigations of the crash began, it became clearer and clearer. Um, and one of the assumptions that I made was that, well, we, you know, this is a, this is a, this is a moment we have forensic science of the kind that we've just been hearing about on this on this, um, you know, it, fr from the previous speaker, um, we, we can find out what happened. Um, you know, this is a tragedy and it's a strange tragedy. It's an eerie tragedy. But what happened was that the pilots uh, were landing in, a, it wasn't really an airport. It was an airstrip in the forest. There was thick fog. Um, they misread some, some instruments. They hit a tree and the plane crashed. And that's, that's the story. And there will be no conspiracy theories around this. Um, everybody agrees upon what happened. As the weeks and months went by, though, 
the story began to shift and change. Um, and the president's brother, who was um, his twin and who was also the leader of his political party, um, having initially accepted the explanation that there was an accident, began to change the story. He began to insinuate that it wasn't an accident, there was a conspiracy. He never really explained what the conspiracy was, but maybe the Russians were responsible, maybe there was a, maybe somehow the government was responsible, that, that's the government that was not the same political party, maybe something else had happened. Um, people around him began to, began to write stories and articles speculating about what had happened. They had no evidence. Um, nevertheless, they invented stories. They did mock-ups on the covers of magazines showing exploding planes. Um, they, uh, they, you know, they, 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 they wrote, they, they looked for alternative experts. So they found somebody in America who came and said, I know about airplanes and this could never happen. And it turned out he was a, he was at a small university. He knew nothing about this kind of air crash or these kinds of situations. Nevertheless, they made him into a kind of hero. Um, they found other kinds of experts. They found musicologists who said that the, 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 the noise on the black boxes didn't sound right um, that, as, as, the, as the tapes were played. Um, and they gradually created a sense among a large part of the public, and, and we underestimated this at the time. It began to be 20%, then it was 25%, then it was 30% of the public, slowly became convinced that something had happened, that this couldn't have just been an accident that such a momentous event couldn't have taken place unless there was a plot, unless there was a plan, um, unless something nefarious had happened. Sounds like a strange story. It's amazingly similar. It's amazingly similar to what Donald Trump did as he entered US politics in 2015, 2014, 2015, and then 2016. He too entered politics by saying, there's been a conspiracy something terrible has happened and, and your government and your media and your politicians are all hiding the truth from you. And of course the conspiracy was different in this case. The conspiracy in this case was that President Barack Obama was not really American. Really he was born abroad, he was born in Africa. Um, he had, he, and he was not a legitimate president. And Donald Trump repeated this. He asked questions about it. He said, where is, Donald, where is, where is Obama's birth certificate? Um, Obama did have a birth certificate, which was produced. Where's the long form birth certificate? Um, that was eventually produced too. Um, there, are, there were newspapers printed in Hawaii on the day of Obama's birth that, that mentioned his name. This was dismissed as, as something impossible. And while he, was, while he began, he was out of office initially, but Every time he appeared on television, every time he could, Donald Trump brought up this theory over and over again. Barack Obama is not a legitimate president. Both of these two conspiracy theories, um, both underestimated initially, turned out to be incredibly powerful and important. Um, in Poland, the president's twin brother, whose name is Jarosław Kaczynski, um, who's still now the leader of the Polish ruling party, rode this conspiracy party, conspiracy theory, um, to victory in an election in 2015. Um, Donald Trump rode this same conspiracy to, you know, sorry, rode his different conspiracy um, to election in 2016. Um, both of them have things in common. Um, um, you know, in both cases, it's not clear whether the person pushing the conspiracy 
whether the, all of those pushing the conspiracy theory actually believed it or whether this was a cynical plot. Um, in the case of Trump, I think it's probably almost 100% certain that it was a cynical plot. Um, although there were many others who, who began to go along with it. Um, in the case of Kaczynski, the story is confusing. Um, you know, it may be that he just couldn't bear to believe that his beloved brother was, was murdered accidentally and he wanted a bigger theory. Um, but in both cases, the plot and the conspiracy theory had an important effect on politics. Namely, it appealed to, first of all, to a deep sense of victimization. You know, we as a nation have been fooled. You know, my, my president isn't real. Um, my president has been murdered. Um, it also appealed to people who wanted something different out of politics than they'd been getting up until that time. They wanted politics to be about emotion and identity and grievance and anger. Um, and the conspiracy theories found those people and it gave them something to organize um, those, those emotions around. Um, the conspiracy theories also had a really important effect on what people felt about the societies they, they live in. For if you think about it, if the American president is illegitimate, that means he's not supposed to be president, and yet he is, that must mean something really terrible is happening. That means that Congress and the White House and the CIA and the FBI and the police and the media and everybody is covering up this terrible story. And they're not letting you know um, that the president is, is illegitimate. And that decreases your trust in all of those institutions. Um, by the same token, what does it mean to say that the president of the country was murdered and it's being hidden? You're not being told the truth about it. Well, that also means that the media, the president, the government, the um, you know, the, the, you know, the security services, they're all hiding the truth. They're not telling you what's happening. Um, and therefore your trust in the system, your trust in all these institutions that have been set up to serve you, to, 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 to manage democracy, to manage elections, um, to manage information, these are all lying. Um, they're all lying to you. They're all trying to, to hide, hide the truth from you. What does this do? What was the effect of these conspiracy theories? They created deep distrust. So why should anyone have any faith after this in the electoral system? Um, why should they trust fact-based media or science? Um, why should they believe in the goodwill of politicians ever, you know, or trust what the government says if these terrible lies have been told? Um, this distrust, this is the beginning of the end of democracy. Um, when you have people who no longer trust their fellow citizens, who no longer trust the institutions of democracy, who no longer, um, it's, it's not just the media they don't trust, it's the sciences they don't trust, it's the universities they don't trust, um, any institutions that have knowledge. When they don't trust any of, that, any of that, then why should they believe who won an election? Why should they believe as, as half of the Republican party has, has been telling pollsters for the last few weeks? Why should they believe that um, that Donald Trump actually lost two weeks ago, um, you know, or in Poland, you know, why should they believe that um, the government's argument with the European Union um, is really about gay marriage and not about the rule of law? You know, why should they, why should they trust what anybody tells them? Um, this distrust, this feeling that your society has lied to you and that you aren't really part of it and that it's not, and that your leaders haven't told you the truth. Um, this is, as I say, this is the beginning of the end of democracy. And this is the subject of my book, um, The Twilight of Democracy. And my book begins at that point um, and continues from there. Thank you very much.